If you would go ahead and open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, but your translation will do just fine. Isaiah chapter 53, and we'll pick up our reading in in verse 2 in just a moment. I, I heard of a young man and He was a good Christian man, and the team, if you would go ahead and come, uh, that's going to be sharing this morning, go ahead and come up here on stage. But this young Christian man, while working on his graduate degree, met a man that was was Jewish. And uh, he kept inviting this Jewish man to church, and and this Jewish man said, you know, no offense, but I'm not going to your church. You know, I I don't even go to mine. I don't even go to my synagogue, so I'm just not in that to that kind of stuff, so, so please don't be upset at me, but I'm not going. Well, his friend just kept inviting him and wouldn't give up, and, and the answer was always the same, no. And finally, the friend said, okay, if you won't come to church with me, will you at least read something? And, and the Jewish man said, sure, I, you know, thinking that that would just get him off his back, and he, would, he was assuming that he would bring him a book or an article or something like that. Well, instead, his friend brought him a piece of paper that was folded up. And uh, it was handed to him and, and, and he said, just read this, but make sure you're alone. Make sure you've got some time to kind of just really read this and concentrate on it. So um, this Jewish man went back to his room, opened it up, and, and written on that piece of paper was Isaiah 53. His friend had handwritten the whole chapter. And, and I won't read the entire chapter, but let me read a little bit of it. I, I think you'll recognize it, but as I read it, would you just... Let this scripture kind of settle into your heart and mind. Because that will just provide a wonderful foundation for some of the things we want to share. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, sprouting from a root in dry and sterile ground. There is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Listen, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. Now, this is what you did. This is what I did. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But, oh, let this settle down on you. He was wounded and crushed for our sins. Your sins, my sins, our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. All of us, every one of us, all of us have strayed away like sheep. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. And he was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet this isn't like me. This isn't like you. Yet he never said a word. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. 
from prison and trial, they led him away, him away to his death. But who among the people realized that he was dying for their sins? That he was suffering their punishment? He had done no wrong. You understand that? He had done no wrong. And he never deceived anyone. But here's what happened. He was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Well, this Jewish man read through this and, and saw that it was Isaiah 53. And, and he began to think, you know what? There's no way that this is in the Jewish scriptures. And initially he thought these crazy Christians, they've taken the Jewish scriptures, they've, they've changed them, they've twisted them, they've rewritten them. And this is not the Jewish text that I grew up with. Well, between semesters, he went home and found his Jewish Bible, opened it to Isaiah 53, and he was completely shocked that it was word for word what his friend had written from what he referred to as the Christian Bible. Well, by now he was really troubled. He was disturbed. And so he made an appointment with his rabbi and he went up and said, Rabbi, th this friend of mine who is a Christian told me to read Isaiah 53. And, and so he read it to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, who's this referring to? And his rabbi kind of chuckled and said, well, you know, it sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? And, and the man said, yes, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm bothered. That's why I'm troubled. And, but I want you to catch this. The rabbi continued on and said, yes, it does sound a lot like Jesus, but we're Jewish. And so we don't follow Jesus. Well, that man, man went on a quest to find truth. And he came to the realization that Isaiah 53, which, by the way, was written 680 to 720 years before Christ, was indeed a prophecy and was referring to none other than Jesus Christ. And he realized that even though he was Jewish, he could no longer use the excuse, well, I'm Jewish, so, you know, I can't follow Jesus. So he gave his life to Jesus and accepted him as his Lord and Messiah. Now, that lays the foundation for what we want to discuss today. On October 22nd, just a couple of weeks ago, 23 of us boarded a plane in Kansas City that would take us to Newark, New Jersey for a four and a half hour layover and then ultimately on to Tel Aviv, which then we would board a bus. And over the next week and a half, we would have the privilege of walking in the footsteps where Jesus walked. Now, when we landed, and even though I've been in Israel several times, my, my reaction is always the same every time I go. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm, I'm literally shocked by the chaos in this country. And I realize that our country today does a pretty good job of illustrating chaos, especially right now, right before the election. But, but it doesn't hold a candle to the chaos that you find in the country of Israel. First of all, you have ethnic or what I call family chaos. You know, two brothers named Isaac and Ishmael lived several thousand years ago in the Old Testament, and, and they didn't get along then, and they passed their sibling rivalry to future generations. And Isaac became the father of the Jewish people. Ishmael became the father of the Arab people. So you have Palestinians against Jewish people. 4,000 years ago, they didn't get along. They still don't get along today. So there's ethnic, there's family chaos. But you also have religious chaos. You have Islam versus Judaism, which incidentally, and this is interesting, there in the Holy Land keeps the Jewish people out of Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus. 
And it keeps Jewish people out of Jericho, the first city that they conquered when they came into the promised land. It keeps the Jewish people away from the exact location of the Temple Mount area in Jerusalem that Jesus taught in when he walked on earth. I mean, you think we've got a lot of tension between denominations here in the States? I'm telling you, it doesn't hold a candle to the religious chaos in Israel. Now, the reason I give you that background is to illustrate the fact that when the country of Israel lost sight of God Jehovah, who had delivered them from a life of slavery in Egypt, and when they failed to recognize Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the country of Israel plunged into chaos, which, by the way, the same thing will happen to America. Now, today, with God's help, and, and with the help of just part of the team, you're going to hear from the rest of them, or at least most of them this evening, these are the brave souls that would help me on a Sunday morning. But we are going to be talking about some of the things that we experienced in Israel that helped us as a team to rediscover Jesus. Now, we as a team, we, we don't want to get up here this morning and say, you know, we went to Israel and it was so cool. Man, I, I, I saw the wall and it was so cool. And you know, the sights that I've seen on television, it was awesome. That's not our purpose in being up here today. May God help us to do more than that. Because what we want to do, just as we were able to rediscover Jesus there in Israel, as we walked where Jesus walked, we hope that as we share with you this morning, that you will also rediscover Jesus in your life. One of the observations that we made was that Israel, 2,000 years later, and even, you know, however many years has been, in many aspects has changed very little. And Ralph is going to kick us off and kind of just talk about that aspect. Ralph? Uh, on this trip, uh, my picture of the religious Jewish people began before we even uh, arrived in Tel Aviv. Uh, it was uh, obvious in the airport that we were going to have several fairly orthodox Jews on board. Uh, but in the middle of the night, and I did get a little bit of sleep, but in the middle of the night I, I woke and, uh, and I witnessed Jews right in front of me uh, wearing robes with tassels and they were doing their, their ritual prayers. They were nodding, bending forward, I guess using symbolically every bone of their body to, to worship uh, right there by the airline lavatories. And uh, a while later, uh, they were followed by a group dressed in black. And I don't know the difference between these groups, that they're dressed in black with, with uh, black wide-rimmed hats, and, and they began doing their ritual prayers. And so I wondered, you know, how much have things actually changed in the last 2,000 years? Uh, the only thing I can use to determine, you know, the change is the scriptures, and from what I observed, uh, there may not have been many changes from uh, Jesus' day. All right, uh, Amy, why don't you share with us just, you know, as the children of Israel have lost, when they lost sight of God, what, what did that really do for the country? Well, you may have heard of the elaborate Catholic or Greek Orthodox or Armenian churches that are built on top of 
many, most of the holy sites. Um, these are everywhere, lots of huge, ornate, some of them very beautiful churches. They had throngs of people in them, and those people were clamoring in line to touch, kiss, light candles before or bow before some shrine or object there. Um, maybe one that had been supposedly touched by Jesus or by Mary. After viewing several of these churches, it, it was frustrating as a Christian um, to just think about the peace of, of that particular holy site being disturbed in such a way. But a few of us were discussing how it, it seemed that the purpose of these churches was more to worship the beautiful buildings the beautiful structures that men can build. Uh, many in the crowds of people appear to have lost sight of God, and some of them, quite rudely, as they're pushing their way through the throngs to get close to these objects, are worshiping the objects rather than what the objects commemorate. I was convicted that I must guard against this in my own life, and, and I'm not worshiping a statue or an ornate church but other areas in my life can come cause me to lose sight of God. And I want, and we can all have, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And we can meet with him, and we can receive his resurrection power anywhere, yes. even in our messy home or in a walk in the, in the woods. It doesn't mm -hmm. need to be in an ornate structure. As people through the centuries have edged God out of their lives, horrible things have resulted. And we've, we saw evidence of this while we were in Israel. For example, as Joe has already mentioned, the tension within the state of Israel by the different people groups. Sodom and Gomorrah in the area of the Great Salt Sea or the Dead Sea. The Holocaust Museum and the horror represented there. And on a side note, a thought-provoking quote by Kurt Tucholsky that's at the very start of the museum as you walk in is this. A country is not only what it does, but what it tolerates. It gave mm -hmm. me chills yeah. to read that and think of the United States right now. Mm -hmm. One site that affected me perhaps more than any other was the Valley of Armageddon. The coming judgment is described in Revelation 16, and this beautiful valley is mentioned in that chapter. It is powerful to me that God allows mere mortals to actually see where the last battle between good and evil is going to take place. Judgment is coming to this earth, and elaborate buildings and rituals aren't going to save anyone. Only Jesus Christ can. Yeah. Wow. Powerful. Thank you, Amy. One of the things that just impacted me and impacts me every time is that, you know, Israel is not a huge country. And so many of the miracles that were performed there in the Old Testament miracles, the New Testament miracles were just in a small area. One day we went to the city of Jericho and Jericho is under Palestinian control. And so that's actually the first time that I've been able to go inside the city that they've allowed us in. And we had lunch there. And then after lunch, we went to, we went to a little hillside just outside of the restaurant. And our guide, David, uh, he was amazing. But he, uh, 
first of all, he had me blow a ram's horn there, just kind of reenacting, you know, what, what they did a lot during that time. But he started showing us. He said, okay, look, look over there. You see Mount Nebo. Now, does Mount Nebo ring a bell? That's where Moses died, unmarked grave. So that's over there. And then he said, uh, you, you see those mountains there? That's actually Jordan, but those are the mountains of Moab. And, of course, what, three or four weeks ago here in this church, we talked about you know, Ruth and, and, and Naomi, and, and they had been escaped Israel to, because of the famine, and then they came back across, but they, they were there in, in Moab. And um, then uh, our, our guide said, look right over there. You see the Jordan River. He said that's where probably, uh, because we're in Jericho, and so it, it was kind of a straight shot. He said that's probably where the children of Israel crossed the Jordan river to come into the promised land, you know, a million, million and a half, however many were there. And he said, if you go right around the corner, there is where we believe Sodom and Gomorrah was. Of course, there's nothing left there, but uh, through some excavations, they believe that that's, uh, that's where it was. The Dead Sea was not too far from, uh, not too far to our right. And, and then what was kind of cool is we were standing on the, on this hill right there and and our, our guide said, you know, here in this area, there are not very many springs, but there's one natural spring right there. And we saw it. And, and he said, this is where we believe that the water, remember, was so bitter and, and they, they were coming drinking from the water. It was making people sick. And so Elisha came and dumped some salt in it and it healed the water. And it's, it's good until this day. And so that was right in that area. And, and, and then he said, turn around to the back of us and and he said, see that mountain? And it was probably as the crow would fly maybe three, four miles. He said, that's the Mount of Temptation where we believe that Jesus wandered around. It was rugged, rugged territory for 40 days and 40 nights fasting and, and, and praying. Just that terrible, terrible time where he kept using Scripture to come against Satan. Um, and then, of course, we were standing possibly on top of the walls of Jericho that had come tumbling down after marching around the city for seven days. And... And so it was a reminder of God's power and, and how many miracles were worked within just a few mile radius, miracle after miracle after miracle. We had a lot of highlights there, and we'll share a few this morning and, and, and a bunch more this evening. But one of the highlights that we had took place um, in and around the Jordan River. And it was an honor to have Pastor Ken Smith, his wife Thelma, Susan, and their daughters Susan and and, and Sharon, and uh, it was just so cool to have them along. But Ken, tell us what really uh, spoke to you there. I think this was a very exciting time. And I want to read just a couple of verses of Scripture before I make some comments. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then there was a voice from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This was an exciting time when we got to that point in our, visit, in our visits to come to the Jordan River and realize that this was a place. This was a river that our Lord and Savior was baptized in. We still practice that. Now, we don't hear, we may not, each time that a person is baptized, we may not hear from heaven in the same way. 
But at any rate, this was where he was, ba uh, where he was baptized. Yes. It was a privilege for me, of course, to be able to baptize our two, uh, two of our daughters in that water. And then it was also a privilege to watch Pastor Joe as he was baptizing. And, and he had a group from our uh, group, I mean, um, some people from our group, several of them, that were being baptized. And they walked down, they were baptized, and walked out. But I noticed, I was up behind, and I noticed a, a line of people lining up behind our people. And that line of people, whenever he baptized the last person of our group, there was another one that stepped in to be baptized. Now, I don't know how many the Pastor Joe baptized, but it was a great number. It looked like that, that he was a great Messiah. But, <laughs> but at any rate, he baptized a number of them, not knowing who they were, most of them not even understanding their language, and they didn't understand his language, but within the heart of those people, they wanted to be baptized yes. in the Jordan River. And I just want to say to all of those that are out there, if you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized as a commitment yes. and let the world know that you, as well as all those people that are baptized in the Jordan, are there to follow Jesus every day and every step of your life. Yeah. Amen. That's good. And, you know, it was <clears throat> just a privilege to, to baptize, you know, several of our, our own here. But I, I, I just think if I can just pick on you, Denise, uh, Denise and Pam, Back a few years ago, we started a service at the Opera House Theater downtown, and it was our, you know, we had three services in the morning, and it didn't work out, we didn't have a place for child care, and so we did it about a year, but uh, we had some people come in as a result of that, and, and Pam and Denise, they're products of that, and, and, and their parents and their families, they've come to know Christ, and so it was a privilege to uh, to rebaptize some people that have already been baptized, and of course some people need it several times. Um, <laughs> But it was just an honor to be able to baptize uh, Denise and, and Pam. And, um, and and then whenever they started forming the lines, you know, I didn't know them, but uh, I, I tried to talk to them. And my sign language is terrible. I would do this and, and this, and we didn't understand each other. And I did understand that I baptized people from Russia, Ukraine, Moldova, Philippines, and Ecuador. And it was kind of cool, the people from South America. I said, I'm from Bolivia, and talking to them in Spanish. And so I was able to do the baptismal ceremony in Spanish. And, and they thought it was just really cool that another South American was, was able to speak their language and, and baptize them. And just one funny thing, and we're not going to say a lot of funny things this morning. We'll save uh, that for this evening. But I'm thankful there are no piranhas in the Jordan River. <laughs> because the fish came up, and they were nibbling on my legs. And as soon as I got in the water, I thought... I'm standing in some brush or some grass that grows, you know, under the water. And I looked there, there was none of that. And I realized the fish are nibbling at my legs and they were just covering my legs. And uh, I, I didn't know if I was going to get out of there with any flesh on my legs. I thought they were going to just nibble it all off. And a couple of times it really hurt and I kicked at the fish, but uh, they just came right back. Um, but anyway, it was just an amazing experience as uh you know what, whenever the family of God knows no boundaries, and doesn't matter whether they're from Russia or, or Ukraine, Moldova, I bought, baptized from Australia, the United States, Ecuador, it doesn't matter. In the name of Jesus, whenever he's forgiven us, washed our sins away, we're one family. We're one. 
And it was just an amazing time. Another amazing time, and I'll try to make this as quick as possible, but uh, we went to Cana of Galilee, where Christ, of course, performed his, uh, his first miracle of turning water into wine. And there were some people really excited about that part of it. Um, but anyway, while we were there, um, right, right there in this little chapel, this was one of the churches, but they had a side chapel. I had the honor of being able to uh, just uh, renew the vows with uh, Kenny and Thelma because they celebrated 65 years of marriage while we were in Israel. And so, you know, for, for a couple that had been through good times and bad times, uh, but yet stayed together, been faithful to God, faithful to each other. Uh, congratulations, Thelma and, and Kenny. And, you know, after this little ceremony that we had, we had to go out into the streets and celebrate. The next slide, I think, shows that. Uh, you know, somebody caught me doing that, so the secret is out. I drained it. Man, I drained it. I downed it. But I'll just let you know that was 0% proof is what they said anyway. And I don't know if you can tell there what it says. That, that store is uh, fill, fill the jars with water. That's the name of the store where we got that, got that wine. But anyway, that was a fun time. All right, Barb, uh, talk to us about the Pool of Bethesda. Well, on Monday morning, our first stop was the, was the Pool of Bethesda. Um, And Bethesda in Hebrew means the house of mercy. And um, after walking around the pool area and and discussing the colonnaded porches, which according to the Bible are on five sides, um, which actually would have been one on each of four sides, and then there was one that went down through the middle, um, we settled in a small grassy area high above on the far side of the pool from where we had entered And looking down, you could see the original steps and um, the pool um, and then also the many layers that had been built up um, over millennia. Um, We sang and we read from John chapter 5 the story of the man who, after lying by the pool for 38 years in hopes of being healed by the moving waters, um, was healed by Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, then Pastor Joe conducted a healing service for us. And um, as it's described in James 5.14, it says, Is any among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And several, actually most of us, were anointed either for our own need or on behalf of, of another person. And at first, I was not planning to go forward. I thought, well, other people have more important needs and, and more uh, pressing needs than I do. But I felt prompted to be anointed on behalf of someone. And it was just a really precious time with the Lord. <laughs> we were beside the pool of the house of mercy. Yeah. And we were not getting what we deserved. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we know that God is not more powerful in that spot than anywhere else on earth. It was symbolic to us, and it was powerful for us. I felt my faith strengthened to receive the mercy that God offers to each of us, and I felt prompted to thank him for the answer that he is giving. Um, Hold that thought, and we went, visited several more sites, both meaningful and not so meaningful, Mm -hmm. and 
um, old and newer things that impacted each of us differently. Later in the day, our walk brought us to the Western Wall, or also it is known as the Wailing Wall, which is the main part of what remains of the Temple Mount complex of Jesus' day. It was not actually part of the temple, but rather what we would call a retaining wall. Um, But this is the place where, for many years, the the Jews could be closest to the Temple Mount and therefore closest, they felt, to God's presence. It became a holy place and a place of prayer for them. And there it, it is a tradition to write your prayer on a piece of paper and then fold it and stick it into the wall. And while we as Christians know that God's presence is everywhere and that we do not have to write our prayers and place them in the wall for them to be heard, it was a moving experience mm-hmm. and to write out that prayer that I felt God impressed on my heart and place it in that wall. It kind of sealed it to my heart. Mm -hmm. And um, in a sense, it became a part of the house of God physically as I placed it in the wall, and it became a part of this house of God spiritually. And I, I wrote out my prayer of gratefulness, and I put it, folded it to put in the wall, and, and then I felt I should do one more thing. I unfolded it partly, and I wrote on the outside, in the name of Jesus. Yes. I don't know if when they sweep up the papers at some point and burn and bury them on the Temple Mount, as they do, someone will see those words as a witness. But God saw, and I know he heard. And I know he hears, and I know he answers prayer. And I'm thankful for his answer. Yeah, thank you, Barb. Oh, it, it was just a very emotional 10 days. And there were a lot of tears. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a ball baby, and, and so I, I, I shed tears. But not everybody on the team cries as much. But I think we were all moved to tears at different times. And Susan... Uh, you, you were emotionally impacted a lot of the week, but there were a couple of places that especially really moved you. For service, I kind of lost it, so I'm going to try to keep it together on this service. Um, Via Delarosa, that stands for way of grief or way of suffering. That was the road that our Jesus carried the cross on his back to his place of crucifixion. He was beaten. He was spit at. He was mocked. Mm. I had a hard time walking on it without just crying the whole time. Um, You know, after looking at the trains that we had looked at and the mountains and everything... It was obvious that he was a very athletic person because he did a lot of, you know, they walked everywhere they went, and it was rough. So it wasn't like he was a weak person. He was very strong. But he had been beaten so violently and so dehydrated and just in such terrible shape that he fell three times on that walk before he had the cross carried for him because he couldn't make it any further. 
they say that it takes two days for most everybody that they had hung on the cross to die. It took him six hours because he is so beaten. Mm-hmm. And I, tried, I was imagining that as we walked through that street and there were markets on both sides, a lot of chaos. And that's how it was that day too with everybody yelling and screaming. Not everybody. He had followers too that were in the crowds. But it was just so hard, just so hard and to imagine. And him knowing that he was going to be on the cross and then he was going to take every one of our sins on his shoulders, mm-hmm. all of our sins, wow. in agony. Yes. That included the people who were, you know, abusing him. That includes you and I. It includes every one of us. And I thought about how the father was looking down in sadness. He did that for us. Every one of us, you and I, everyone. He did that for us. (laughs) And one thing I know for sure, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to see his face. I'm going to fall before him. Face down (laughs) from the brightness of his face. And I can't wait. Yes. Another time that was very touching was on the steps to the temple where he had preached so many sermons and where he had told all of his parables or many of his parables to the people and just thinking about the multitudes crowding around him and to think about, you know, the children playing throughout the moms and dads as they were listening to the sermons and thinking Jesus Christ smiling at them. You know, it was just very touching to be sitting and praying on the steps that Jesus had stood. Uh, One thing that the guide told us, and then I read it later when I got home, was Neil Armstrong sat on those same steps. And he was quoted to say that it was more exciting to be standing on those steps at the temple where Jesus had stood than to stand on the moon. Wow. That's a lot for yes. an astronaut to say yes. that because that's his lifelong dream probably. Mm-hmm. But it was really, really cool. Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Susan. Randy, you let me read some stuff you had sorted through and you summarized it so beautifully there in Newark and uh, just on our way back home. Uh, share with us. It's so deep but yet so simple. just makes so much sense. Um, So on the last day of our trip, uh, before we flew home, uh, we did two things. The first was we went to Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Memorial and a museum. And there's no real way to put that into words that can describe it to you. Um, It's just a sobering and, and horrible, and yet it's one of those things that you need to look at even though you have really no desire to look at it. Um... But I remember a story uh, by a guy who was a Holocaust survivor named Eli Wiesel um, who wrote a book called Night. And in that book, he recounted that he was in one of the concentration camps and uh, as a punishment for some infraction, uh, several people were chosen at random to be hung and executed. And the entire rest of the camp was forced to stand and watch that as a warning to them. And most of the people that were hung were adults. 
and when the, they dropped, their necks broke and they died immediately. But one that had been chosen was like a 10, 11 year old boy and he wasn't heavy enough and so for over half an hour he hung there choking before he finally died and they were all forced to stand there and watch it. And he heard somebody near him mutter, where is God? And Eli Wiesel said, there he is, hanging on the gallows. Mm. And for him, it was the moment where he had lost all faith and he became an atheist, as far as I know, for the rest of his life. But for us, he was, he was absolutely right. God was right there, hanging on the gallows. And so we, we left Yad Vashem and went uh, to the garden tomb and to uh, uh, what possibly may be Calvary. Um, there are different, different sites, and, but this seemed to be probably to me the place where Jesus was crucified, and we were looking at it. And I, I didn't have any words. I didn't, I didn't really even have thoughts while I was there. But on the way back, I started thinking about it. When I got to Newark, I wrote, um, wrote down that at Calvary, at the cross, the very worst that humanity could do, the Holocaust and all the events like it, and all the little minor sins, you know, that you and I do, the white lies or the lust or whatever it is, um, all of that was poured into the best that God had to offer. Mm. Yeah. And he carried it into the tomb. And three days later, he left it there. Mm-hmm. Wow. First all God. of that, all of our sin, all the violence, all the hatred, all the anger, Everything that has ever happened in the history of the world, every sin he bore, he carried into the tomb where it belongs, and he left it there. Yes. And I know this. I remember Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Christian is trying to get to the celestial city, and he can't because his load is too heavy. But finally, he struggles up the hill to the foot of the cross, and he falls down in front of it. And when he does, his load falls off, and it rolls down the hill into the tomb. Some of us today are carrying things that need to be put where they belong in the grave. Yes. Amen. And my invitation to you all today is let these things go. Jesus carried them away. Yes. Put them in the grave where they belong and walk out with the victory that he brought with him when he rose from the dead. Yes. Wow. That's good, Randy. You know, uh, we, we, we saw a lot of things. Uh, Megiddo. We saw what's considered the Valley of Hell where there in Jerusalem between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives, just a valley there where they burned the trash and were human sacrifices. Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, Masada. But I think it's fitting that that very last day that we were in Israel, we ended up at the place of the skull. Amy, you want to share with us? Just very briefly, it was so humbling to be in this place where Jesus suffered and then where he was risen. And it just brought just so much to life. I mean, of all the attributes of God, he's our peace, he's our fortress, he's our friend, he's our daddy, he's our savior. And that was just ringing loud and clear there. As we saw uh, the place of the skull, Golgotha. And um, can you go back a slide? I mean, just you, you can kind of tell there. And, and again, we don't know for sure, but it fits 
geographically, uh, historically, biblically, but just where the suffering took place. And then uh, we went to the tomb. And by the way, did you know the tomb's empty? Did you realize that? And each of us had an opportunity to go in. Again, we don't know if it's the right one or not, but it, it, it was a rich man's tomb because there were a couple of chambers um, right near the place of the skull. So it, I'm satisfied it was, but we don't know. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't matter. But I had the privilege of just helping out all of our team. And I was in there the whole time that our team was as they went in by groups of three, four, five, six. And I think all of us were just weeping. As we looked where possibly he was laid. But he wasn't there. <laughs> but he was there because, you know, the Bible says after he sent it up, then the Holy Spirit was sent back. And so he wasn't there physically, but he was there. He is here. And he's in our hearts. And so we went from the tomb about 30, 40 yards away. To a little secluded area with some benches and we had what they called our worship time read some scripture we sang a bunch of songs prayed some prayers and then as only you can imagine we partook of communion <laughs> just as a stone's throw away from the empty tomb what an amazing time and as we were singing, I happened to notice, uh, actually, let me just stop right there. <laughs> Greg, I think, is going to just bring this, he's going to tie everything together in just a beautiful close. So I'm not going to say anything else. Greg, talk to us. Okay, um, first I'm going to talk about singing. Singing was a very important part of our experience as we toured the Holy Land. Our group was fortunate to include some talented uh, and strong voices in our group. And we found out that our guide really thought that we were special. Uh, <laughs> he would go on and on and on about it. And we just chalked it up to him catering to us because we were paying him to take us through this guide. So so that was, that was amusing. Uh, but singing was very special to us. And as we would sing, we would sing in these domed churches, stone walls, high ceilings, and we would sing our praises, and the harmony would reverberate, and people would stop. They would take pictures. They would record our singing. And one morning after we had toured this church and sung our songs, our, our group was leaving to go on to the next side, and as they were heading towards the door, I happened to be at the back of the group and as I started to leave I heard this big commotion behind me and so I turn and I look and here comes this this guy a stranger and he is coming fast at me and he, he has this intent look in his eyes and his face is distraught and he's coming right at me and here I am an American in the Middle East and I don't <laughs> know what this guy is up to but I'm, I'm a little concerned about it so I, I brace myself. He comes up to me and he grabs me by my shirt and he pulls me toward him. And he says, please don't go. He said, won't you stay and sing more? Your songs have touched my heart. Mm -hmm. 
And so as we were singing and, and our voices were reverberating through the church, it wasn't our voices, but it was the message and the spirit of the living yes, God right. that was working in that man's heart. Yes. And even though it was too late, our group was gone. We weren't able to honor his request. My heart broke because he was so impacted by that. And then on our last day, Joe explained we had gone to the place of the school, the skull, uh, Golgotha, the crucifixion, and the, the tomb. And then we had experienced a very, very meaningful communion like none other I had ever experienced. And we wrapped up our time with, guess what, more singing. <laughs> and as we were singing, we were taking in all of the events that had led up to our final day, all of the events that had led up to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And I believe that the Spirit was working again that day, at that time, because as we left, once again, we, we filed out, and I was at the end of the, of the line. Someone stopped me and said, where are you from? I told him where we were from, and he told me where he was from. He was from Tel Aviv. And, and you can see in the picture behind me, Gideon and Shulamite are Messianic Jews. And I was so excited. The whole time I had been really eager to meet with and, and visit with a Messianic Jew, and I hadn't been able to. But on the final day, God saw fit that that, that happened. And so we began talking, and he explained to me the struggles that they endured as a Christ-believing Jew. And as he was telling me these struggles, I said, I'll pray for you. I'll pray that God will protect you and keep you safe. He says, oh, no, don't pray that life will be good for us or life will be easy for us. Pray, rather, that God will lift the veil from the eyes of Israel. And if you remember, wow. Joe started by reading from Isaiah 53. There it clearly identifies that the Messiah, you go down the list and you check every point that he calls out in Isaiah 53, and it points directly to Jesus Christ. But the veil is covering the eyes of the Jews, and they can't see it. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, so I go back, hustle back to the group. Joe says, well, who was that, that you were talking with? And I said, those are Messianic Jews. And he was excited too. So he tells the group, wait up, we'll be right back. And so we hurry back and we, we catch up with Gideon and Shulamite. And we visit just a very short time with them and get their contact information. And we'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. And so anyway, we ended up leaving. I get back home, and so I had emailed Gideon, and he responded back. And, and I just want to read to you part of the email that he included. He reiterated his prayer. And I also want you to know that I told him that our church is a praying church. We have true, faithful believers who believe in the power of prayer and who know that God can change things. And so he truly appreciated that, and this is what he had requested. Definitely, there is great need for prayer that the veil will be lifted from the eyes of Israel 
and that all Israel will be saved. We need as much spiritual support as possible in prayer and intercession so that when we sow the seeds of the kingdom, the earth will be ready for it. Further, pray for our protection as this really is the front line, which means harsh attacks on us, our jobs, our family, and our health. And so that's the request from Gideon and Shulamite. And Joe, I'm going to turn it over to you. And as we wrap things up today, that's what we want to do. We want to pray for Gideon and Shulamite. But maybe there are some of you here that you need to rediscover Jesus. I think that's what some of us did there in Israel. Our eyes were opened and there's nothing. It's not like a Mecca that you go to that just getting to Israel is going to change. You know, it's a heart thing. It's There's nothing about the land that's going to make you more spiritual. But it's whenever we align our heart with Jesus, that's when we rediscover him. And maybe there are some people here this morning that need to do that. I, I know what it is to kind of wander off, stray away, become lukewarm, or even just cold. And so maybe this morning... This is the time to where you would want to just say, God, I want to rediscover your son, Jesus. I want to draw near to him. And, of course, the word says he will draw near to us. So I want to pray. And, and I'm going to ask you just to bow your head. Nobody looking around. Maybe there's someone here that would just in flat-out honesty say, Joe, I... God has spoken to me today. I, I know that I need to probably move closer to him. Is there anybody that would just be honest, lift a hand and just thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? I see your hand. Thank you. Anybody else? I want to rediscover Jesus. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? You know, in just a moment, I want to pray for you. And in fact, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. I'd like for there to be a husband and a wife, maybe Ryan and Val, would you mind coming and let's just let them, let you represent Gideon and Shulamite. And I'd like for several of us to just gather around them, but I'd like others of you that maybe raised your hand and you want to rediscover Jesus in your life. You know that you've strayed. You know you've just drifted away and it's just cool, lukewarm, whatever. And I'd, I'd invite you to come right now. You don't have to go to Israel to rediscover Jesus. All you have to do is say, Lord, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. Would you just come, those of you that would like to come right now and pray together and you know, we're not here to embarrass anybody. That's not what this is about. But this is just about doing what we're really going to be interested in whenever eternity comes. And maybe there are others that would like to just join this group. We want to give you just a few more seconds. And you want to rediscover Jesus in your life. You want to draw closer to him. Anyone else? Just give you plenty of time. I believe God's working here. Let's not, let's not blow what he set up this morning. Anybody else you want to come? 
All right, we're going to pray for these that have come forward. We're going to pray for Gideon and, and Shulamite. Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity to go to, uh, to Israel. And Lord, so, sometimes we, uh, sometimes we, we think that, that there's something magical. If I can just go to the Holy Land, just as Muslims think, if I can just go to Mecca. But Father, we know there's nothing There's nothing about the land of Israel that we can't have here. It's just a matter of seeking you and and aligning our will with you, aligning our heart with you. And God, I I pray right now that you would help those that raise their hands, those that have have come forward. Lord, I pray that right now you would just uh, help us to realign our our, our will with you. And God, we ask that, that, that you would help us to rediscover Jesus in our lives and in, in our families and in our, our church and in our society and our country and our world. Oh God, I pray that there would be something different about us. We, we want to know Jesus and the power of your resurrection. The power that's the same yesterday, today and forever. So Lord, I pray that there would just be that uh, difference in us, that our lives would be changed as a result of you. Lord, I will also want to pray just as we lay hands on, on Ryan and, and, and Valerie. Father, I want to just pray that, that Gideon and, and Shulamite would feel our prayers right now. As they're in Tel Aviv, and Tel Aviv is, is known as, as a very wicked city. Lord, it's, it's, it's a city that pretty much just does whatever they want to do. And, and not only is there the Jewish influence, not only is there the Muslim influence, but there is the secular inf- uh, influence. And Lord, I pray for them, uh, first of all, that they would be strong in their faith. And Lord, wherever they worship, wherever they are right now, I pray that they would just be energized. And and, and God, we know that it's about seven o'clock uh, at, at night there. And, and Lord, I pray that they would just definitely feel the touch of God. Help them to know that somebody's praying for them right now, that they would be strong. And Lord, that they would be protected in their family and in their jobs and in their personal lives, that their children would be protected. And Lord, we also pray that as they ask that the veil would be lifted from the eyes of the Israeli people, Lord, both Palestinians and and, and Jewish, and Lord, that they would come to know Jesus and that they would see that Jesus that was born 2,000 years ago, that lived and, and died and resurrected and ascended, that he is truly the Messiah. Lord, he is the Messiah. He wasn't, he's not just was the Messiah, but he is the Messiah. He is the savior of the world. He is the one that can save us from our sins and cleanse us from our sins. And Lord, I pray that right now that the Israeli people would just come to the, come to grips with the fact that, that Jesus is Lord. And Lord, those places in, in Bethlehem and, and, and Jericho and, and, and the disputed territories, settlements where there, there is just com- continual chaos and the Golan Heights and uh, Lord, uh, the Gaza Strip and Lord, all of those places where strong Palestinian, I pray that they would realize that it's not Muhammad, it's not Allah, but it's Jesus Christ the Son of God who came to take away the sin of the world and and then Lord these other Hasidic Jews and and others that are religious that that pray probably much more faithfully than we do and they study the scriptures the Old Testament scriptures I pray that they would realize it's more than just uh, dressing right and it's more than just uh, saying the right prayers it's just more than going to the western or the wailing wall but it's serving Jesus and 
Father, let their eyes be opened. And so, Lord, we thank you again that we can pray. and We can unite with our brother and sister. Uh, and God, we know it's not just Gideon and Shulamite, but there are others there. And not a whole bunch, but there are others in Israel. And, and there are in others in, in different countries that are serving you. And, and, Lord, there's not the freedom. And on this day in which we remember the persecuted Christian, we just pray for them again as, as Jim has already prayed for them. So, Lord... As we go from here, I pray that we would just continue to keep the fire. Lord, let us keep Jesus in our lives. We want to just continually have Jesus. We, don't, we, we want to just rediscover Jesus and, and keep Jesus at the forefront of our lives. Lord, we thank you so much. And we ask these favors in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, our Lord and Savior, and our coming King. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Well been a good morning. Thank you for coming. Don't forget tonight is going to be super fun. We're going to tell some funny stories. We're going to give some meaningful uh, explanations of different things. So hope to see you here six o'clock this evening. Bless you. Have a good afternoon.